the scripture today, please listen with me. We now turn to the word of God. You may find the passages on the screen in your bulletin or of course in your Bible. The two scriptures this morning are Matthew 6.13 and James 1 verses 12 through 15. Hear now God's word. Matthew 6.13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And next, James 1, verses 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning again, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. So I um, noticed a bunch of shocked faces and head turns on um, as the dog returns to his vomit. Does anybody know where that comes from? Proverbs 26.11. Yeah, um, I'll read it to you. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. That is how bad our predilections and tendencies to sin is. And the person who wrote that shocking liturgy headed off to Mexico right after he did. <laughs> um, but it is a good liturgy for the message for today, where we are in our series on the Lord's Prayer, and we are walking through each petition, petition by petition, verse by verse, and we now are in the fifth week of this six-week series, and we come to this final petition that's in the prayer, and it is a final petition that in some ways is very similar to the others, and the other ways has, in other ways has some differences. And uh, the similarity is that it very much connects to the one that we did last week that comes right before it. If you think about it, if we, if we truly are repentant in our hearts, if we, if we genuinely ask for God's forgiveness for our past sins, that should be very much coupled with a desire to avoid temptation and the future sins that that might lead to. Does that make sense? So we turn from one directly to the next. Jesus has outlined it that way. It's also different, like I said, though, because it actually contains two requests in the, in the one petition, which you heard them both. The first one negatively stated, lead us not into temptation, and then positively stated, but deliver us from evil. And then the last thing is that it is the last petition, which means that the Son of God, who himself is omniscient, and I'm sure chose every word with care, decided that this should be the end of the prayer, that this should be the last thing that is ruminating in our minds and is expressed on our lips. So for all of those reasons, it has to be important. And for all of the re those reasons, it should cause us to ask ourselves, do we really pray this theme enough? 
Do we really think enough about what it means to be tempted towards sin and asking God's protection for, for that? I think we could do it far more than we do. And so we're going to take a look at what that would mean and look like today. Would you please pray with me this morning? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is to us, that is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And Lord, I pray that we would not return to the same sins and indulge in the same temptations over and over again. And I pray that that message, which is of your word, would come through today by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by my words, but by your power. Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of all who are here and have ears to hear. Give them ears to hear. That we would all know your word, we would internalize it, and we would walk in your ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to walk through this petition together. We're going to do it in a very straightforward way. We'll spend our time on the first request, then we'll move to the second request, and then we'll talk about some application. And the reason that I've included the passage from James along with it is I think it will help us unpack some of the things that we'll look at as we go along the way. So let's, let's begin with lead us not, maybe, lead us not into temptation. So just because this is in here, I think there are three things that, that we can already recognize that Jesus wants us to think about and no, the first is that he included this in a prayer that, as we said, is not primarily for us to commit to rote memory, although we do, and it's a great thing to do, but it is a thematic, a setup of categories of prayer for our daily prayers. And this means that temptations are a daily threat, a daily threat to what it means to live the Christian life and to glorify God. All of us encounter temptation. There is no way to avoid it. None of us like to talk about it, but the reality is we all are tempted by something or, if we're honest, by some things in the plural. Am I right? I think that that is true. The next thing is that we should raise the prayer, because it is stated this way, in the collective. It is a prayer for us, just like everything else that's here we pray this for ourselves, and we also pray it for, our, for each other, for our Christian brothers and sisters, for church leaders and families, because these battles against temptation are won when they are fought together as the church, not in isolation, and it is a, it is a struggle that will require endurance. And this is because Jesus includes it, along with these other two petitions, the, the bottom three, the, the final three, are about things that we need every single day, right? Give us our daily bread. God meeting our daily needs and the sustenance that we desperately need and desire. God granting us forgiveness, that we should repent and confess our sin over and over again. So he puts this along with it because we are tempted day in and day out, and we have to return and ask for protection over and over. So let's talk a little bit about the words that are in the passage, and let's start with the meaning of the word temptation, which is also in the James 1 passage. It shows up in two different forms in the New Testament, and uh, no, I didn't decide to put some Greek up here just because David did last week. I think it actually is helpful. So, so here we go. Uh, parasmos is the noun for temptation or an event of temptation. It also appears in the New Testament in the verbal form, uh, perazo, which is to tempt 
or to be tempted. However, it shows up about 20 plus times in the New Testament and many times in extra biblical literature, and it very rarely means what we would think of when we think of temptation. We think of incitement to sin, you know, like we would think of being tempted by food or tempted by shopping or something that pulls us down a hole, tempted by all sorts of things into all sorts of sins. And it can certainly mean that, but it also, as well as enticement to sin, can mean a trial or a test of faith. And it's actually mostly translated that way. Now, you might say, wow, those are two very different things. Well, I'm glad you said that because I was prepared for exactly that reaction. So let's look at the James passage in 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Now, if you continue looking, if you have your bulletin out or your Bible, in 13 and 14, you see the, verse, you see the word tempted over and over again, but not in verse 12. It actually is in verse 12 in the word trial. It's the same word, perasmos. And elsewhere in the Bible, it shows up as test. Here's 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to you upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, the reason to go through this is because we might be tempted, pun intended, to think that the petition is asking God not to tempt us into sin. Do you see why we might think that? God do not lead us into temptation. But God never tempts his people to sin. He tests his people. But he never tempts us to sin. The Bible is clear, and we believe at this church that you read verses not in isolation, you read them in, your, in their context, and you actually read them beyond that in the narrative and the story of the entirety of Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. And in the passage we have in James 13, uh, 1.13, it says, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Our God, friends, is perfectly holy. He cannot sin. That is not an inability or a problem with his character. It is the mark of the perfection of his character. And a God who cannot sin, a God who hates sin, that God loves sinners so much that he would never incite us to sin. In fact, what he does is save us from sin. The mission of the Son of God is to save and rescue sinners to deliver them ultimately from evil, to bring them back, to reconcile them to the presence of God. If you are unfamiliar with the Christian message, that is precisely it, that we all have found ourselves mired in sin. We often don't think of it that way. We think of it as just making our own choices and living our own lives. Very few of us operate in this in overt ways, but it is more covert within our heart that we have taken God's gifts and not acknowledging, acknowledged him as the giver. And as a result of that, we have walked away from God and created an infinite separation that a God who hates sin cannot tolerate. But he doesn't leave us there. He sent his son to save us, to rescue us from sin, to bring us to new life by grace and through faith. And so then 
in that new life, God commands that we live as holy people because he is holy. And a God who commands us to be holy would never try to get us to live in an unholy way. Does that make sense? Do Do you follow that? That is who our God is. He doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. And he does this often through trials. You might be familiar, it's, it's only in a few translations, but there are some translations of the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer that in this phrase say, do not bring us to hard testing. Has anyone, has anyone ever seen that? I see a few, a few head nods. Yeah, it's actually not a bad translation. Bring is, is a great translation for lead, and then hard testing. And, and this is what James says about testing earlier in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, When you meet trials, there it is again, perasmos, of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you see how amazing our God is? Not only has he rescued us from the evils of sin and never tempts us back into it, he tests us, but he tests us for the purpose of strengthening our faith that we can withstand the next actual temptation that comes. That is what we are asking him to do in this prayer. We're asking him, we're saying, God, test me. I know that you'll test me. I know that you might even put me through a trial. Do it not to the point of my failing, God. Do it to the point of my strengthening. Do it to strengthen my faith so that I can stand in the temptation when it does come. I know it doesn't come from you, but I know it will come. Strengthen me, Lord. That's the prayer. That's what should be on our minds and our lips when we pray this, because that's who our God is. But it does leave open a question. If God isn't the one who tempts us, who or what is doing the tempting? Because there's some tempting, right? In the Christian life, there is always tempting to turn back into our own ways or to turn aside from the path that God calls us to be on. And, of course, the next phrase answers that question. It's in the second request, deliver us from evil. Or for the who, I may have tipped my hands with the parenthetical there. Um, we'll get to that wording in a minute, but here are a couple other things that, that we can know. That enticement to sin is fought and conquered by God's power. Look at the word um, deliver. Deliver does not mean give me a little bit of help right? Deliverance is not a request to say, I'm running out of a burning building, God, I just need you to hold the door. That's not what we're asking for. We are trapped under beams that have fallen upon us in a burning building that we have no way of getting out of. It is a trap of our own making, and it is a God who lifts them and who carries us, unable to leave. Amen? That is what it means when we're asking him to deliver us. We're acknowledging that sanctification comes from God, that it's his power that delivers us, not ourselves. And even though it is a petition in the collective us, it also has power when we personalize it. You see, we often pray, oh God, I'm sorry for my sin and please don't lead me into temptation. But I think Jesus had a different mind for this in prayer. See, the reality is we are all saved by the same grace. We are all saved to the same God. We are saved through faith in Christ. All of that the same. But we are all saved from our own individual sins and weaknesses. 
And God knows all, so we need to be honest with him and pray for deliverance and protection from the specific things that plague us. Now back to the wording here. So here we go. Greek again. All right. Last week, we, we talked about, is it debts? Is it trespasses? Is it sins? Right? So how many learned deliver us from evil? Okay. How about deliver us from the evil one? Okay. Less that time. Interesting. All right. So the word is paneros, which is an adjective. It usually means like evil something. The problem is there is no thing that's in, that's in the verse. Instead, there is a definite article, which is what you see there, to paneru, which makes it a noun. The literal translation is deliver us from the evil. Okay? The evil what? Matthew, in another place, it's, I believe it's in Matthew 13, uses the same phrase to refer to the one who comes in to steal and destroy. And he's talking about the evil one, Satan, the devil. So, in this case, unlike last week, all that is to say the ESV is not quite as right as it could be. And I'm comfortable admitting that to you all today. If, if nothing else from this series, I hope you realize there is value in looking at different translations of the Bible. It helps us to unpack some of these various things and it helps us to learn. But that is what it means. The evil one, the devil, Satan, the adversary, the enemy, the tempter, the prince of the power of the air, the slanderer, the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of these references all throughout scripture mean the same being, and yes, he really exists, no matter what anyone else says. 59% of people identifying as Christians in a survey from the Barna Group said that they believed that Satan was a symbol of evil in the world and not an actual being. Are you familiar with anything that has the concept of stealth technology? Okay. When you can mask your existence, what does it provide? An amazingly effective advantage, right? To carry out a battle, if the enemy does not know that you are there, you have an advantage over that enemy. If the enemy does not believe that you exist, then you have a supreme advantage over that enemy. Do you see where I'm headed with this? If we do not acknowledge what the Bible says, that evil exists and that there is an evil one, then we are not prepared to do battle with him. C.S. Lewis actually addresses this in one of his main works. I, I hope you've read this book. I commend it to you if you've, if you've never read this story. It's The Screwtape Letters. And he says, this in the introduction, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, meaning the devil, capital D, as well as his demons and uh, minions. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. You see what he's saying, that across time in the human race, there have been times where humans are very interested in the occult and in demonic forces, and there are times where we do not believe that they exist at all. And both of them are very equally effective. 
The reality is, thinking this way is how you end up with either fortune tellers or, oh, I don't know, perhaps spiritualists having profitable businesses. It's also how you end up with a complete fool wearing a red suit and a cap with horns dancing on stage at the Grammys. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. And everyone applauding to it, as if it's some sort of charade or some sort of joke. Christians, there is an enemy. There's an enemy who would love for us to believe that he is not there and that we can make light of him. There's an enemy who works against us. The adversary, by his efforts and by proxy through his demons, is trying to coax us into a life of continual temptation that leads to unrepentant sin. And sometimes he doesn't even need to do the work himself. You see, this happens, this enticement towards sin, both externally with Satan or demons tempting us, but also internally with our own twisted desires, which the Bible calls our flesh. Did you notice that? Look back at the James passage in your bulletin, verses 14 and 15. But each person is tempted, here James points out, not by the devil, but when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The world pressing in on us, our flesh calling us back to the things that are not of God and the devil tempting us along the way. All of these work either in isolation or in concert at different times in subtle, small, almost imperceptible ways until we have moved closer and closer to the edge. You see, he takes this up again, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, which if you don't know how the story works, so it's a senior demon who is advising a junior demon on how to get a human to walk away from the Lord. And this is what he says. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards. If cards, maybe I should read that, iPhones, will do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Just moving slowly in a direction that is off the path of life in Christ. Every single semester at my seminary, I have heard of at least one student who has been pulled out of a class. It has happened in the class that I'm in right now and has to take the course over again at best. It's always been the same reason, unless they've taken themselves out of the class. Any guess as to what it is? Cheating. Sometimes it's plagiarism. Sometimes it's blatant cheating on a test. In seminary, cheating. Now, I know a lot of these people. The reality is, I don't know a single one of them who came to seminary and said, I think with a well-executed cheating plan, I'm going to walk through this and into a life in ministry. I know that didn't happen. I know that's not how it works. And you want to know how I know that's not how it works? Because I'm aware of the temptation. I sit there and I take an exam online 
and I check a box that says, on my honor, I've had no help, and I haven't consulted any outside sources at all, and then I begin the test. And you come to a point in the test where there's some sort of a question, and you're like, oh, I knew that yesterday, and I know I'll probably know it in an hour, but I just can't remember it right now. Wow. And as you look down, your books and your notes are setting right over there. And you think to yourself, well, it's only once. It's just one question. It's not even that important. It's almost as if someone's talking to you. Isn't that interesting? Amen. And you think to yourself, well, the real point of this, or we're very good at rationalization as rational creatures, the real point of this is for, for me to get through all this so that I can continue working in ministry. That's what God really wants for me. So why would he want me to fail this test? Certainly, it's not that big of a deal. And you can see how it goes on and on and on. And this happens in every way of our temptations. Very few people wake up in the morning and decide to walk out and have an affair. That isn't how it usually works. Someone pays attention to you when you had a fight with your spouse and it feels good, too good. And you start a friendship in a way that it shouldn't be started and you intentionally run into the person and on and on and on it goes. And it's temptation so it happens in the Christian life. Friends, we have to fight Temptation, amen? God wants something better for us in all aspects of our life. He calls us to something better because with every tempting step, we move closer and closer to, as James says at the end of verse 15, the sin that brings forth death. We need to know how to fight this, and we need to pray to our God to protect us. And so that's what we're going to look at as we close today. And it's it's a longer close, I'll, I'll warn you, but applying the petition, okay? Remember, not just memorizing the prayer. We can do that easily, and most of us already have, but applying it in our lives. So here are a number of practical steps that we can take to do this. The first one, pray. Duh. This is a series on prayer, and this is a prayer about temptation. We should be praying regularly, daily. That God test us to strengthen our faith, but that we not be led into temptation. That we be protected from it by our God. That he delivers us from the tempter. As we get closer to Christ, the attacks often increase. And so we pray for ourselves, we pray for others, we pray for our leaders. That is what we need to do. Next, we believe God and we trust Christ. When we pray, he answers the prayer. He provides protection. The Bible promises this. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not unique. What you're going through, God knows about. And he knows that you would go through it, and God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And by that, we should know God's word. We know his word to resist temptation. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, how did he respond all three recorded times to the temptation? He's Jesus. 
He can do or say anything. And what does he do? He references Deuteronomy three different times. The same scripture that's available to you and to me was good enough for Jesus with a headlong attack from Satan. We need to know God's word. When temptation strikes, we can repeat scripture even out loud. As we ask for deliverance, it is a sword for our battle, and we do it in participation in the church. We are in this together, amen? Amen. Temptation is an individual battle, but it isn't meant to be fought in an individual way. It is meant to be fought in the collectiveness of the church, in a place where we gather and worship and we're reminded of the things of God, the glory of God the path that he wants us to be on, the joy that it brings, where we receive the sacraments like we will with communion today, where we get a visible symbol of God's grace that God has given of himself in his son for us. We look forward to a sinless and temptation-less future when we gather as the people of God. And then in that church, we build accountability. Now, in addition to stealth technology, right, What is another thing that the devil definitely wants us to do? Remain silent about the temptations that we have. To try to take him on ourselves, which we are completely ill-equipped to do because we're not Jesus. But yet when we bring those things to light by sharing those struggles with other people, they lose their power. We need trustworthy people who will ask us the questions that we don't want to answer about where our heart is right now. At our church, we... We have men's and women's groups. Not that that always happens there, but it's meant to foster the type of relationships where that can grow. I invite you to join one if you're, if you're not part of one because it's important that we develop accountability. And then lastly, we identify our weaknesses and we set guardrails on these things. We need to learn when, where, and by what we are tempted, especially when we're going through trials or tests so that we can pass the trial in the test so that we know to flee enticements, guardrails, things that say, I'm not going to go there because I know for me, when I go here, I end up here. Does that make sense? Martin Luther has my, my favorite way of describing this. Temptations, of course, cannot be avoided, but because we cannot prevent the birds from flying over our heads, there is no need that we should let them nest in our hair. I think you get the point. Get them out of your hair. Set up guardrails. Church, can we pray this petition together? Can we pray this petition together? Yes, Yes. Yes, we can. Can we live it out and support each other in it, giving each other support and accountability? Yes. Yes, we can. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that though we are no match for the evil one, that he is no match for you. We thank you that your power is made perfect in our weaknesses. That when we are able to conquer temptation, we can recognize that it happened in the midst of our weaknesses and that it was your deliverance, your power, Holy Spirit, that made it happen. And that we would be strengthened by it. That we would be strengthened when we are tested so that we can walk in your ways day in and day out until the day that you call us home. 
God, we trust in you, and we, we confess that, that we are weak and frail people, but we confess that you are mighty and strong. And we trust in you. We trust in your power. And we commit to pray to you regularly to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.